The International Science Council works at the global level to catalyze and convene scientific expertise, advice, and influence on issues of major concern to both science and society. In this podcast series dedicated to women in science around the world, we discuss gender equality in science systems, sharing initiatives and experiences in ways that go beyond mere gender awareness in favor of effective, transformative action. Brought to you by the International Science Council, advancing science for the global public good. In this episode, we speak to Kara Masena, a scientist and researcher in environmental epidemiology at the Sorbonne University. Her work focuses on understanding the link between climate change and public health issues. Kara speaks out about the impacts of climate change on women and the challenges and realities of finding permanent postdoctoral positions in science. Hi, Cara. Thanks so much for coming in to chat with us. Thanks for having me. Could you just give us a brief introduction of what you do? Yeah. Um, so my background is in particle physics, but I, after my PhD, I switched to environmental epidemiology. So now I work at an institute, which is a joint institute between INSAM and Sorbonne University, working on um, basically the health effects of, of environmental contaminants and uh, mostly air pollution. Very interesting. Can you explain what is environmental epidemiology, if you were to explain it in the most simple terms? So when we usually when we talk about air pollution, we um, look at ambient ex exposures or ambient concentrations in a city. So you've got a detector here and a detector on the other side of town, and you look at how much you know how much pollution is in the air. It basically measures the area around it, but then you generalize to a larger fraction of the city. But that's not really how air pollution works. I mean, you've got sources of air pollution, which might be cars or a building or a factory. And near those, there's going to be much higher concentrations than somewhere else. And you know, of course, it moves, depends on the wind, temperature, all sorts of things. So you might check the air pollution levels on a site like Air Paris, for example, in Paris, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what you are breathing. So um, what our lab has done and what we're working on now is um, personal air pollution sensors to measure your own, your own exposure, so your personal exposure versus sort of an ambient level that, that you might be, that sort of generalizes the, okay. the state of of the pollution levels across the city. Right. Um, and, uh, and we also know that when we're talking about individual exposures, that they vary quite, quite a lot between different, between different sectors of the society, basically different age groups, different, um, different gen there's obviously a gender component there as well. But based on your occupation, you might have, um, a much different exposure than your spouse, for example, even if you're living in the same place. How is your work affected by gender equality? Okay, so when um, when we're looking at different um, different exposures environmentally, um, we see we definitely see a difference um, based on gender. So, for example, one study I'm working on looks at the different the different rates of hospitalizations in Côte d'Ivoire uh, based on different sources of air pollution. So we look at three different 
areas of, of Abidjan where there are different primary sources of air pollution. So in one case, it's traffic. In another case, there's a landfill and they burn a lot of waste. So there's a lot of waste burning going on. And then in another area, there a lot there's a lot of domestic fire. So people smoking fish, smoking, smoking their food, cooking their food. And this is done primarily by women. But the pollution levels in those areas are more than four times higher than the pollution levels at the landfill site, for example. So women and their children, because their children are with them, their young, tiny children with tiny lungs are with them, um, while they're cooking and preparing food, but the pollution levels are four times and sometimes higher, the pollution that someone is getting burning, burning waste, for example, which is insane. Mm -hmm. Have you faced any specific challenges as a woman in the climate science field in terms of gender equality? That's a good question. I yeah, that's really tough. So, for example, when I uh, this, I, I'm part of the Women for Climate Mentorship Program. I, I was part of it last year, and one of the questions that they asked on the application was, "Can you think of a woman um, who has inspired you in terms of uh, you know in terms of climate activism or?" or climate science. And I couldn't think of any at the time. I can think of some now. Or I could think of some, but not that necessarily inspired me to, to apply to the mentorship program, for example, or to do any of my work. And, and I, I said that. I said, you know, this is actually a kind of a problem of visibility because I know there's a lot of women working on these things, and I can, I can name them. But if I point to the people who have had some kind of impact on my my career choices or my activity choices. All of them are men, mm. so um, I think uh, I think that's changing. I mean, in climate science and climate climate change issues in general, I think there's a lot more activity going on. What sort of changes have you noticed in terms of gender equality in the climate sector? One thing I'm noticing is that uh, be- there is a gender component to the impacts of climate change, and those are being discussed more and more frequently, which is great. Climate change impacts everybody. It will affect some people more than others, and some of those people are women. And part of the reason why I say that, and I think if I remember some of the numbers correctly, climate change will impact people on the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum far more than it will impact those with more more means to to adapt. And I think about the last statistic I read was about 80% of people in poverty are women. So that alone sort of biases the impacts. What regions of the world are you seeing this most prominently in? I would say, I would say warmer regions. Yeah. Could you just tell me a little bit about what the mission is? Oh, yeah. So Women for Climate is an initiative through uh, an organization called C40. And C40 is a network of cities globally working on urban solutions to climate change. Uh, and until recently, it was chaired by the mayor of Paris, Annie Logo. But uh, they've got a lot of different programs, and one of them is Women for Climate. And within Women for Climate, they've got a couple different things, and one of them is a mentorship program, which is how I, I came to be involved. Um, they also have a tech challenge which they've just finished wrapping up applications for. So I'm anxious to see what, what new technological solutions are, 
people will propose. What would you say to a young woman who's interested in pursuing a career in science? Um, I would say to first order, go for it. But there are a lot of things that people need to consider, not just women, but men, when they're trying to do science and that there's not a lot of funding available for jobs. So depending on the kind of science you want to do, um, you you might want to consider not necessarily other options, but making sure that your skill set when you're done studying science is broad enough that you can apply those skills in a variety of different ways. Because the traditional academic path of getting a, a degree, getting a master's degree, getting a PhD, and then a postdoc, and then a permanent position, a permanent research position, the, that path is not open to everybody, um, mostly because there's just not enough positions. It's very competitive, and uh, it's actually quite, the, I mean, I hate to say this, science is not depressing, but the the whole process is really depressing. And it's really depressing for people who are so, so excited by science in general, especially about their chosen field of study, to go through all of these hurdles and then just sort of be stuck at the end where you don't have you don't have any opportunities or your op the opportunities you might have are halfway across the world. Um, so I think that if you're interested in science, you should obviously pursue that, but keep an open mind about where you'll end up and where you end up might not be where, where you end up immediately after you study might not be where you end up 10 years after that, or even 20 years after that. But it's, um, yeah, it's a really difficult thing, I think, to encourage people to go into something where there just aren't that many jobs. So um, we do need scientists, and we need scientists in all sectors of society. We need, um, I mean, one, I guess one argument that people don't really make but should be made for teaching science at a younger age and making sure that that girls and boys are are interested in science is that the level of science literacy needed for us to tackle some of the problems we have on a global scale is, is not quite there. So, uh, but science literacy doesn't mean that everybody goes into a scientific career. It just means that, that they, they have enough knowledge to, to make good decisions. Yeah. I, I would say, I mean, at a basic level, I mean, as a scientist, like I, I want everybody to do science. I want everybody to be excited by it. I'm excited by it. But the reality is, is that there's just not, it's not really open to people. And I'll make a further comment if that's okay, which yeah. is maybe a little bit um, uh, annoying for people to hear. But so I, I do science in France and I know the situation in the U.S. is different. And if I was able to go back to the U.S., to work when I when I finish my PhD, I think my thoughts on this might be a little bit different. But working in France, the salaries here for scientists are are not high. The salaries in France in general are not very high, but the salaries um, for scientists, I mean, they're they're limited. They're very limited. And comparing to US, they're kind of a they're kind of a joke. I guess. So I've had a lot of support from my family. I've been able to continue despite the the low salary. But if I didn't have that support, there's no way I could stay in my job. There's no way I could pursue a, a permanent position in in science. Not here. And I know that other European countries 
Some of them are the same and some of them might be better. But I think that science is really still kind of a luxury for a lot of people. If I didn't have support from my family, I wouldn't be able to continue to do this. And I think it's really unfair that some people are sort of priced out of doing science because maybe they they study and they get a PhD and they might be amazing. They might not be able to accept a a small salary to cover their family's expenses. So I think that in general the the way science I'll say academic science but science jobs are structured in general I think is not is not it's not helping science. It's not helping science to have people have to leave after after two or three postdocs and go do something else. It doesn't help science to have people leave because they can't afford to live off of of whatever whatever the the standard salary is. What sort of changes would enable more people to pursue science and have it be a viable career? And second of all, what advice would you give to a young woman, say yourself, when you first started science? What advice would you tell her? It's hard to see how much is, it's a problem. So when I first started grad school, the idea of like doing a bunch of postdocs all over the world for two years at a time sounded amazing. Um, but if you fast forward your life and you end up, you know, married with kids, it's a totally different situation and you can't, you can't do that anymore. So, but that's the reality is that a lot of people finish their PhDs and then they hop from postdoc to postdoc to postdoc in hopes of getting a permanent position. I think that middle stage needs to be addressed somehow. I don't know how. I don't know that everybody wants permanent jobs right after they finish a PhD. I don't know that it's, but being able to, if there was some way to be able to choose to live where your family lives and do the job you were trained for, that would be a big help. What advice would I give to myself? I would tell myself to focus more on on programming skills than than the science because the reality is that, that most likely people are going to get a job doing data science or something else. Most of the people I graduated with are doing data science. They're not doing whatever it was that they they studied. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but um it's truth. Is but it, yeah, that, that's that's yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming in and chatting with us. Yeah, it was thanks lovely for to having meet you. me. Thank you for listening to ISC Presents Women in Science. For more information on the International Science Council's initiatives to address gender equality around the world, go to our website, council.science/podcasts.